scripture memory verse tonight, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon himself the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. Anybody else? Good job, honey. Anybody else? Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. Good job. Anybody else? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Good job. Oh, where's it at? Isaiah? Good job. Well, we've been talking about this. This is one of the most profound scriptures of the Old Testament portraying the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus uh, prophesying that he would come in great detail, his arrest his burial, his resurrection and then it asks who has believed now again, I want to tell you what I usually tell you, we want to look for some context, I want to cover a lot of this, I, I can't cover the whole uh, book of Isaiah, but let's look at a little bit of it and the first thing I want to tell you is that the chapter break is messed up. And see, the chapters 53 and then the verses are put there so that you and I can discuss and know where to turn to. In the original scrolls, they were not there. And in the deciding of these, men have messed up in some places. And it doesn't make it bad. I'm just saying that it's messed up. And really, I think that you have to go back up into chapter 52 to verse 13 to really get the full context. So when you look, you'll see this, this entire um, prophecy of Christ and all that happened to him contained in this and all that's going to happen to him. So let's look at it and let's start in 52, 13. Behold, my servant, notice it's capitalized, shall deal prudently... He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And so the servant is a bondman, a bondservant. Now, uh, it's a servant that serves out of love. It's a servant that serves voluntarily. If you remember a bondman, when we look in the New Testament, all the disciples took the same title because Christ was a suffering servant. Christ was a bondsman. And, Christ, and, and it's got this context to it, and I like to do this, and some people get irritated with it, uh, but I like to tell this um, testimony that I cannot prove, but is told about Abraham Lincoln passing through the state of Illinois, and he comes across this slave uh, um, auction, and he begins to bid on a slave girl, and he wins the bid. 
and she comes over after he wins the bid, and um, he says, you're free to go. And she says, what do you mean free to go? He says, you're free to go. Go on. You can leave. And she goes, free to do whatever I want? He says, free to do whatever you want. She said, free to go wherever I want? He says, free to go wherever you want. And she said, I want to go with you because you set me free. And I want to know why. I want to know about this love. And that's what a bondsman is, like a bond slave or a servant that voluntarily follows the master who has set them free because they understand that they were not supposed to be set free. It wasn't the way things were supposed to be. So behold, my servant shall deal prudently. And prudent, deal prudently is two words in our English, but in the, in the Hebrew, it's all one word. And it's make to make or act circumspectly, hence to be intelligent and be skillful. With wisdom, he's going to winningly set the captives free, we're going to see. He's going to act prudently and obey the Father's plan. 14, just as many were astonished at you. Oh, I, I skipped part, didn't I? He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Oh, so we're going to lift him up. Now think about it. This is John 3, John three fourteen, where Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, and he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Now think about it, because a lot of times we think, Oh yeah, he was lifted up on the he was lifted up on the cross. We'll lift him high. You ever, you, and and uh, you ever seen songs? Let's lift him high. Let's lift him high. That's not good songs. Because this is talking about uh, him dying on a cross for us. He was lifted up on a stake. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He was exalted and extolled as a sacrifice and lifted very high. Right? That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about we want to lift him high in our life. We always want to put Christ on the throne of our life. But he was exalted. It means to lift up on high. Uh, to suffer is the word extolled. To lift, to suffer, to furnish, uh, and to give a pardon. A pardon is one of the words. He died on a cross for us. This is what this is talking about. If he will die on a cross for us, lift it up. And everybody will look at the sacrifice that he made, then he will set us free. That's what he's doing. So a lot of times we think that's a really cute little song that we lift him high, lift him high. Everybody lift Jesus up high. But this is talking about his death on a cross, dying for the sins of the world. Uh, just as many were astonished at you, now they're pointing at him, Looking at him, the scripture is saying that as the prophet writes this down, so his visage was marred more than any man. Do you remember that? His visage, and let me tell you what it means because I don't have any idea what visage means until I look it up in the Hebrew. Listen, it means the act of seeing. It's his appearance, his shape. It's his comeliness we're going to see in chapter 53. When they looked at him, he was disfigured. He was marred. Far, his, marred his form was marred uh, more than any man. And his form more than any of the sons of man. Well, think about this for a minute. Because 
they beat him. They whipped him. They took him and they played a, a cruel game with him when they arrested him. Now, the scriptures don't outline all of this, but in historicity, they prove it out that the Roman soldiers were so wicked and evil that what they would do is they would take their prisoners and they would blindfold them. And then they would punch them. And then only one of them would not hit him. Like if there's 13, 14, 15 soldiers, and then they would take the blindfold off and they'd show their knuckles and say, which one of us didn't hit you? And they played this cruel, evil game with their prisoners. Now here's the other part of it that's so cruel and evil. If you are fighting with somebody or a blow is coming, you can move from it. But when your eyes can't see it, you have no idea when the blow is coming. You have no means of protection or even to shriek back. And so the blow is much worse. And we're looking at that he was marred beyond any man. And then they took him. And what did they do? They tied him to the stakes. And they did, the, they did a, what's called a cleanup statement. They would take the cat and nine tails and they whip you. And when they were whipping you, you were being beaten. And you were supposed to confess all your crimes against Rome. Well, now think about it, because you and I, natural men, um, I'd make something up. I'd be like making stuff up, because I could lie. This is God in the flesh. There's no lie in him. He cannot confess anything because he's innocent. So they're looking for him to confess something, and they keep beating him. He's beaten beyond any other man ever, any sons of men. He's marred worse than anybody. And that's what we're talking about here by the cruelty of it that an innocent man is going to come and take your, your sin and my sin and the whole world's sin upon himself. That's what he's doing, taking the full wrath of God the Father and every sin for us. And that's, that can break your heart when you think about it too deeply. But God wants to focus upon his love, his love. But there was such a beating, and it's telling us about it right here. Long before it happened, they're telling us that his, that, that his appearance was marred more than any other man. And that's disfigurement or corruption. It comes from a word that means to be battered or decayed or destroyed. And he was beaten and beaten and beaten. And then that, that bloody back had to be nailed to a tree. And, he, and, and, and think about this for a minute. Because what they would do with that tree... It was a post that he would carry, then they would nail him to it, and they would drop it in a hole, and he would hang there, and hanging there, the pressure from his chest was supposed to cut off his breath. See, life is in, in the blood, but the breath you need to keep the blood flowing. We were finding out with my wife that oxygen has to go to the blood, but then they put a little post on the bottom, so with that nail, they, they had perfected cruelty. They had perfected it. They put a nail through his feet and he's on a stake and that nail is on a nerve and if you if you just hang in there you're okay but you're going to die so in order to want to survive you push up and when you push up to get a grasp of air it's killing the nerve down there so you drop back down and so his cut back is up and down and up and down and just driving away at the spine i mean he's marred beyond any man of course, that's not here, right? It's not. It just says his visit, visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of man. But look at this, verse 15. 
so shall he sprinkle many nations. What? He's going to sprinkle his blood out, not just for a sacrifice for Israel, but for all nations, for whomsoever. Listen, he's going to be a sacrifice where he sprinkles his blood and pours it out. The word sprinkle actually is interesting. Uh, it, it means this, to spurt or be sprinkled. I don't know. We don't use that word anymore. But especially in expiation. Now, that's another word that I don't know, so I look it up. Now, expiation is the act of atoning for a crime, i.e. our sin. It's the expiation of the act of making satisfaction for an offense. Now, in the Jewish law, under Jewish law, expiation was made by sacrifices and washings. But here we have, in Christianity, Christ, that once and for all sacrifice for you and I. His, his body, God had provided as a sacrifice. His blood as an atoning sacrifice. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. Now that can be taken a couple different ways. Remember he's before Pilate. He's before Herod. He's before kings. And it can be taken in the millennial kingdom that when he sits down on the throne, kings are going to shut their mouth. They have no authority. There's lots of ways to look at that verse. For what had not been told them they shall see and what they had not heard they shall consider now act like act like there's no 53 there see because i put my 53 back up above 13 who has believed our report see where it's all one line there really if you think about it verse 15 and one go together for what had not been told them they shall see this is b of 15 and what they had not heard they shall consider for who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the lord been revealed see this is what we're looking at that now we shift gears and it's talking about believing giving testimony being a witness so that mouths will shut up and everybody will be undone before the presence of the Lord. And that everybody will humble themselves in his sight. But who has believed it? Because what did he do? He came to his own nation and they did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believed in his name. Again, we have this tied with the New Testament. To believe. But here I love this. I love this. Here in the Hebrew... Remember, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament is Greek. Um, it means to trust, believe does. Who has believed, it means to, who has trusted our report. Morally to be true and certain, steadfast. But here's the one I like. Like, listen to this. Oh boy, this is so amazing. To foster as a parent or a nurse. To support with the arm like carrying a child. This is what believe means. We are supposed to take the gospel, believe the report, and then hand it out. Foster it and care for it, nurture it, deliver it to others, receive it as children. Who has believed our report? Who is supporting our report? 
And the report really is just um, an announcement or doctrine or good tidings that we are that we are giving out about this Messiah who is coming. And you know, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints they lived underneath a sacrificial system, which was a covering. It's a kofar that covered their sins until the Messiah came. But they full well knew that a Messiah was coming. And they would tell each other that a Messiah was coming. Our, our uh, um, uh, Messiah is coming. And they would look forward to it and be saved by faith. We look back on it and we're saved by faith, by trusting in God. And they were supposed to be telling people about it. And that's why you find when you open the pages of Scripture... And we're going to do that on Sunday in Luke 1, that they're waiting for the Messiah. They're looking for the Messiah. And that even makes it sadder that he shows up. He suddenly appears in his temple and they kill him because they have walked so far away from him. Now listen, because this is not only uh, uh, the nation of Israel. This is all people at all times forever. Every single one of us would follow that. If we keep following the spirit of this world, the turn to sway of the wicked one. If we keep following and building on sand and we don't surrender to the word of God, we will always kill God and we will join right in with death culture and make up our own little religion and our own little plans to do our own little things and build our own little kingdom and honor ourselves instead of honoring God. We should be like the kings who shut their mouths and only speak of the things of God. And to whom has the arm, the strength of the Lord been revealed? Has the strength of the Lord been revealed to you? The arm, it's his outstretched arm, his help, his power, his strength, his might. And, and I like it, the word revealed is the word gala. It means to publish or to uncover again. It's uncovering. Has he been revealed to you? Because only the Spirit of God can reveal the arm and the strength of God to you. And so often we do that with just uh, books and, and, and classes and different things. But it has to be the Spirit of God who opens your heart to receive God and reveals or uncovers the truth of God and tells you about it. You hear his voice you come to life, and then you walk circumspectly as he walks circumspectly, as a servant, a bond servant, who voluntarily lays down your life to do his will uh, and not your own. Look at verse 2. It's going to tell us about him, the report, where he come from, his, his origins. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. I like to look at the vine. When he comes in 15 of, of John, he says, I am the true vine, a tender plant where all nourishment comes from. When you abide in the vine, you can bear much fruit, but apart from him, you can do nothing. And as a root out of the dry ground, remember, he's the root of the son of Jesse. Now think about this, out of the dry ground. When you really look at... Uh, He's a tender plant. Listen, a tender plant is a sucker. <laughs> That's what it says. It hasn't bore any fruit yet. It's got to grow up. It's a tender plant. It's a twig. It's a sapling. It's a young plant. But listen, it's a sucker of a tree as if it's sucking and nourishment come from its mother. 
So everything, notice it says, and the world might have rejected him. Israel might have rejected him. They might not have known him. But notice what was going on there in two. For he shall grow up before him. Listen, the father knew where the son was at all times. He grew up before him. He was sent here by him. He was a gift to the world from the Father for the salvation. And he knew that he would be beaten. He knew that he was going to be a sacrifice. And yet still he gave us his son so that you and I could be restored and come back into the family of God. And he says here he has no, it's to be, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him comeliness we don't use anymore comeliness is is uh, uh talking about his magnificence or his honor or his majesty or his splendor he wasn't born in royalty he wasn't born with royal ro royal robes he had there was nothing like oh man i need to go over and please him i need to go it was his word remember in john we just talked about it in john 7 they send soldiers to arrest him and they come back, uh, and, and, and they're looking at him, and they go, where's he at? He goes, man, never a man ever spoke like he spoke. They didn't say never a man ever dressed like he dressed. Never a man ever carried a big gun like he did. Never a man ever fight like he did. Never a man ever run as fast as he did. They said never a man ever spoke. It's his word that God sent to heal the land. And so there was nothing comeliness. He blended right in. It wasn't because we were following the tall guy, the smart guy. It was because his word, it was because of the spirit of God. There was no comeliness about him in his figure or appearance. See, we just used that same word up in 52 when it talked about his, his visage being marred. Same word, except that way it was marred so bad that you couldn't recognize him as a man. Now we're talking about that he blended right in. Five, six, looked like all the other Jews. And there was nothing about what he looked like. He just was right there. But when he spoke, he made you feel like he loved you. And you knew that he was looking at you. You knew that he was talking to you. And you knew that his words were life. And he was the light of men. We have the testimony in John 1. Have you seen him? When we see him, have you seen him? You can see him in your heart if you stop looking with your eyes. We walk by faith, not by sight. See him with our heart. Now, number three, we're told the testimony. He is despised and rejected by men. His own nation. Many men all through the ages. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we did not esteem him now again he was rejected uh it means um vacant wait a minute where am i at despised first Despised means we disdained him. He was contemptible. We scorned him. We rejected him. Men rejected him. Vacant. Uh, ceasing. Uh, frail. We treated him. A man, capital M, 
100% man, 100% God, of sorrows, anguish, affliction, grief, acquainted with grief. Now, acquainted is that yada yada. You ever be talking to somebody and you go yada yada? Like you know? So he knew grief. He knew grief greatly because he was separated from the Godhead. Because no one received him. Because he came to die and they rejected him. So yada yada. He was reject. He knew grief. And because, it, and it actually means this. Listen, this is amazing. It means kinsman. Yada yada can be translated kinsman in the Hebrew. I was blown away by that. Because he became our kinsman in the flesh. So that he would have the right to redeem flesh. But then he had to live this perfect life. And so that took more separation, more sorrow, more rejection. He had to be 100% rejected and hung on a cross to die. So he's acquainted with it. And grief here just means malady or anxiety, calamity, uh, sickness. We were talking about this because I was looking up some of these words. And I didn't know that you could have anxiety or worry in the body, but not in your soul. You can have it in your body, but not in your mind. In other words, I can be at perfect rest like I was today worried about my wife. I'm at perfect rest knowing God's in control, but my emotions can still be in anxiousness or worry. And, and, and I said that to, to your mom, and she said, well, of course, because you can be, and, and your heart rate can go out because you're worried really in your body, but your soul is at peace with God because you know your times are in his hands. But still, your physical flesh can have anxiety in it. And you can't control it because of the circumstances going on around you. Think about it when he went into the garden. He says, pray and wait. Just stay here. And he goes into the garden. And what did he do? Uh, hematidrosis is what it's called. It's a medical term where he was in such anxiousness or worry. Not, not, not about what he wasn't going to do because he knew where he was going. But his body, it was in such stress, I think might be a better word than anxious or worry. But he had such stress that the capillaries in his body burst. And then he sweated great drops of blood. It's called hematidrosis, where he was sweating drops of blood. And in prefiguring and looking forward to his blood that would be sprinkled on the altar for us. And um, so, you know, your body can show worry. It can show anxiety. But you don't have to give in to it in your spirit. You don't have to give in to it in your faith that where you trust God perfectly, but it can it can actually uh, hinder you, uh, especially if you do give in to it. But he was despised. He was, oh, here he is, acquainted with grief. Uh, um, because he went through such grief, listen to me, listen, guys, more than any man, more sorrow, more pain, more affliction, more grief. He's, he's been through everything, tempted in every way, yet without not without sin. And so now he's able to secure or come and help and come to our aid those who are tempted. To, when we're in grief, we know we can go to him. Anything that's going on in our life, he has went through it, been tempted by the devil, never succumbed to it, to go to the cross and die a perfect life for us, so that now he's seated. We'll see that at the end of the chapter. He's seated making intercession for you and me. He's there to help us. He's an ever-present help in time of need. But it says here in betrayal, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Now, we know the nation of Israel did. Others do also. Now, in the face, anytime you look at face, when God, we want to see his face, it's his favor. 
to here comes a redeemer, here comes a savior, and people hide their face from him. We don't need a savior. We don't believe you're the Messiah. And they hide their favor from him, and they don't esteem him, and lift him up, and receive him, and believe him for salvation. And hid is, uh, is, is a hider, <laughs> the act of hiding. Faces actually means favor or your presence. And we didn't esteem him. We didn't regard or think of him as having any value. No value whatsoever. And we're going to see that. How did that happen? They hung him between two thieves. No value. You're just like the thief. We're going to see that. They gave no value to him. They say crucify him. Remember that when that happened though? And I like to talk about that. They're before Pilate. We're going to see that in a minute. They're before Pilate. Um, and they had a custom where they would release one on the Passover. Somebody that was a prisoner. And they said, who shall, he said, who shall I release to you? And they said, Barabbas, Barabbas. And we're given the testimony in scripture that Barabbas was a murderer and an insurrectionist. He's just like you and me. Rebellion against God. Murderer. Hate in your heart. Malice. You would kill if you could. And the, 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 the and they said, well, what should I do with Jesus? He said, crucify him. Crucify him. Because of this mob mentality, death culture. And the, and the ironic or the irony is that Barabbas means son of the father and given our own means our own religion our own earthly central demonic wisdom without the spirit of god we will always choose the murderer as our savior we will always look and say release him he's the one that looks like a savior he's the one that looks like can help me instead of by the spirit the one with no comeliness who god has appointed that's why it's so important that we choose the rock, we choose the word, we choose to know him because he's appointed all things for man. He already knows what's going to happen in your life. He already knows what he's planned. He already knows your gifts and talents and abilities. He already knows what, he, what part of the body you are. But when we try to make that up, form that ourselves, and do things outside of the spirit, we build on sand and it will always be a Barabbas. The son of the father of all lies. It will not be the one who died for us freely, voluntarily, as a servant that dealt prudently, um, because God has lifted him up. So verse 4, we'll see a sacrificial death, substitutionary death. He died in our stead. Instead of us, he died in our stead. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It was an atonement. And if you break down atonement, it means at one with God. When he does an atoning death, atonement, we can become at one with God again if we believe. Surely, verse 4, not Shirley MacLaine, who's a heretic. Oh, she's dead now, isn't she? Make up false religion, Scientology. Sorry. Old joke. Surely... He has borne our griefs to bear them, to carry them away. Listen, it means to carry them away. He bore them on his shoulders, on the cross. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is substitution. You don't have to carry your sorrows. You don't have to carry your griefs. 
yet we esteemed him stricken. Again, the word esteemed, meaning regarded, to think or value. We've just valued him as stricken, valued him as cursed. He's stricken. He's, he's been beaten, laid a hand upon. It means to strike violently. He was pierced. Smitten by God and afflicted. Again, smitten is to be beaten, to give wounds. Afflicted is the word for uh, uh, chasten self. Isn't that interesting? It means actually to chastise, chastise self. Because he is God. And it says smitten by God. And afflicted by God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. For whose? For our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. Nailed to a tree in substitution death for you and me. He was bruised for our iniquities. Well, you know what I should probably look at is transgressions. It means to revolt in rebellion. It's sin. It's trespass. And then he was bruised, pierced. He was, listen to this, what it means. To beat to pieces, to break, to crush, to smite. This goes back to the catanine tells. It goes back to the beaten and the game they played. It goes back to the what happened to him by the Roman soldiers when he was bruised. For our iniquities. Our iniquities means our perversity, our moral evil, our sin. Pretty powerful words, really, of a substitutionary death. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Chastisement is reproof, it's correction, it's discipline. And then the peace is our favor, our safety our welfare, our health. Where was it at? It was upon him. God put it upon him when he gave him to his gift. God laid it upon him and said, you are the anointed. You will be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And by his stripes, we are healed. Now listen, that's past tense. Written prefiguring Christ even coming because God's outside of time. It was a done deal when he wrote it down, when he planned it, when he sent his word to heal the land. But here's something that's very important to know. The word stripes right there, it's repeated in Hebrews also. But the word is not supposed to be plural. It's a singular word. By his stripe in the Hebrew, by his stripe, it's his atoning death. It wasn't every one little stripe, every one little hit. It wasn't every little thing. It was the death on the cross that we are healed. And, and listen, because you can get this wrong, and many people do, many churches do. By his stripe, we are healed. This is talking about spiritual healing of the, of the spirit and the soul. This is not talking about every sickness. Because there's the name it, claim it, the blab it, the grab it, the healing ministries that say that every sickness has been healed. Yes, in eternity future, when we get our new bodies, when we see him, everything will be healed completely because sickness actually comes from sin. 
before and it leads in its ultimate conclusion to death. But this is not talking about, yes, God does heal some sicknesses. You can pray. I see healings all the time. You can pray. He is a healer. He's the great physician. But you also know that some people die of their sickness. So if this meant in this verse that by his strife everybody's healed, then anybody that comes to the saving knowledge of him, then they should never die in the physical body. But that's not true. But many people will take this and make it mean that on the cross you should never get sick. On the cross, because of the cross, you should never be ill because Christ has already took your stripes for you. So just claim your healing. Just claim you're okay. And what you do is you put yourself into false territory. You put yourself into the seed of God, and you miss that. It's about the spiritual realm. These are just earthly tents that are made to get sick. They're made to wear out. They're made to give up. But he completely healed our spirit so that we would be with him for eternity, even in a new body. Listen, one day he will completely make us whole. One day we'll be completely made whole. Now listen to what stripes mean. It means black and blue marks. His stripe, he took that bruise. He took the black and blue marks. He took our death for us. He was bruised for us. And healed means to mend, to cure, to cause to be healed, to repair, to make whole. And yes, as soon as we cross the finish line, we are perfectly healed. Perfectly. But as we see people dying down here, we know it's just talking about mainly the spiritual realm. That's like people take... Uh, and my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What an amazing verse. But it's the spirit first, the spirit realm first. It's all about your spirit being well first, not my God will supply money. My God will supply a house. My God will supply a car. My, uh, and you don't believe, so God won't give you $1,000. That's heresy. My, God is here, and there's a spiritual realm. He's a spiritual God. We're spirits in a body, not bodies with a spirit. Spirit comes first. So when God says he'll provide for all of our needs, the spirit has to be first because your need might be to be homeless so that you will fall low enough to humble yourself in the sight of God, and he can lift you up, and you'll cry out to him. So he's supplying for needs, and the need of a person may be to be crumbled, and it may be to to be beaten and laying in a gutter so that he will see that he needs a savior and that there's a way up and out and he can cast uh, his cares upon the Lord because the Lord has already been beaten and bruised for him. Uh, so we got to be careful. And that's the only reason I would belabor that is because we, we, we tell people things that aren't true and then they say, well, I wasn't healed so then God must not love me. I must not be saved. He must not have saved me. But it's by faith that our souls are saved. And then we walk by faith, following the author and the finisher of our faith. And if these bodies give out, we go to his presence, which is the finish line of the race that we're running. That's a great place to go. And then down here, we continue to make people afraid of death. We believe in death culture so much, even in the church, that we will make people afraid of death. When death has no sting, it has no victory. 
Christ came and defeated the works of the devil so that now we can be set free to run a race with nothing hindering us. We can lay aside all the weight and the sin so, which so easily it hinders us and run with endurance the race that is set before us following the author and the finisher of our faith. And we can go out with boldness and give a witness and then say, do you believe the report? And people can come to salvation and know about Jesus, the Messiah. Oh, I get excited about this stuff. But we twist the scriptures. We twist them. And then people say, well, he didn't heal me. I'm still crippled. He didn't grow my leg back. You know, and when you take that word of faith movement that says that you can be healed of everything, um, it's still God's choice whether he heals you. You can ask for a healing, but even Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. And if it's not your will to be healed, then you're not going to be healed. There was a, I always talk about it in, in, in Acts chapter 3, there's a crippled man that laid by the, the temple gate and he begged alms every day there. And Jesus had to pass him for three years, at least three times a year, because he, he came in three times for, and, and so when he's passing this guy, this guy's still sitting there and never healed. And then Peter and John comes and says, we don't have any silver and gold, but what we do have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Well, Jesus never healed him, but Jesus allowed them to speak a word and him to be healed. But it wasn't them that healed him, it was God still that did the healing. And God does heal. Don't hear me say that God doesn't heal. But he heals the spirit first. And then he can heal the body completely when we get to heaven. But he also can heal um, when he chooses his will to heal. I believe my wife was healed. You know, I believe she was healed. I believe God healed her and left her here for us. Her body is not good. It's beautiful. I love her, but her body is beaten up. It's been riddled by by uh, uh, cancer and, and and things. And so uh, we we need to know that when our body hurts, it's the body groaning for redemption, to be further clothed in righteousness. And it gives us a reason to pray, a reason to draw near to God, a reason to be looking forward to that new body that we will get in a twinkling of an eye. What an amazing thing that we will not be tied to one of these sin nature bodies again when we get to heaven. Ever again, we'll never leave his presence. Sorry. As we run out of time, we get to our verse that we wanted to remember. Well, why would this happen? Why is this servant doing this? Why was he beaten and marred and lifted up and died on the cross? Why did he do this sacrificial death for us? Because all we, everyone can find this, like sheep, have gone astray, wandering off, running away. Listen, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've erred, we've been seduced. We stagger, we cause to wonder, and it means to be out of the way. Listen to me, it's very important that you understand this. That, that, that all of us are confined by sin, none righteous, no, not one. We've all turned to our own way. And it's because of the inheritance we get from Adam and Eve, the first Adam and Eve, 
We get death because they were seduced. They were led astray. They, were, they wandered out of the way instead of listening to the voice of God, believing the word of God that he spoke and continuing to follow God in perfect relationship in the garden. They trusted in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life, and they followed the devil, earthly, central, demonic wisdom. And so you and I inherit that. But at the same time, and you can testify, you don't have to say amen. I know uh, human nature and the sin nature because I know my own nature, what God has shown me. Even when we come to salvation, all of us turn and do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. Even when we go, I know your goodness. I know your grace. I know your mercy. I know you have forgiven me. Why did I just do that, Lord? That was sin against you. And he still loves us. He still, I mean, see, our, 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 our focus should be to go and sin no more. And the Holy Spirit is washing and cleansing us. And the Holy Spirit cannot wash and cleanse us unless we get into the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God, the water, to take the soap here. The Word is what is the soap of God that washes the impure, unclean, defiled, evil soul. It's this word, and then he takes the water, and you mix them together, and he gives you a good scrubbing like your mom used to when you get in the mud puddle, and he's cleaning us up. And you are not clean until you see him face to face. You are not finished. As Paul said, not that, not that I have arrived, but the one thing I do, I forget that which is behind me, and I press on toward the higher call of God in Christ Jesus. He's not living looking in the rearview mirror. He's not living looking at the dog that bit him like he still has got, he's got a scar that's been taken. It's been taken in Christ. You've become new creation. You're no longer an alcoholic. You're no longer a drug addict. Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were justified, you will be glorified one day. This is our possession in our inheritance in the second Adam. We've been given new life. We don't have to live like the dog that bit us has still scarred us. Our scars are gone. We have a testimony, but if you don't grow in your testimony, then it's not really a testimony for Christ. It's a story about your life. A testimony is always growing, always going. It's becoming new. What is God doing today? Because if it's standing still, you're going backward. Listen, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. You know how stupid sheep are? Oh, yeah, this is not, this is not, this is not the self-esteem class, guys. That's over in the earthly, central, demonic realm. God wants us to understand that apart from him, we can do nothing. It's a spiritual war, a spiritual battle, a spiritual kingdom. We can't even see it. We can see the things that are going on by the, by the ugliness of the lives, but we can't see the spiritual realm. And it's like a sheep that will walk around the back of the barn and go, bah, I'm lost. And they're just around the other corner. One step away from coming back to Jesus. Sheep in the monsoon seasons, they, the waters would come flying down. That's what Psalms 23 is about. He leads me beside still waters. Because sheep are so stupid, they'll take and, and be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by every water or spirit that comes by. And in the monsoon seasons, the waters would come rushing 
that just powerful forces that would destroy everything down the hills and the sheep would go, ah, stick their heads in them and get sucked away. And then all of a sudden they're over there thinking that they're you know, washed up on some wrong shore, all afloat, and they're not anchored to Jesus, who's leading us beside still waters, who's get our table uh, is prepared before our enemies. We have a table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. And we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, sheep are stupid. Sorry. But you know one thing sheep do? They know the master's voice. And they always move forward. Michael's doing this. That's what it means in the Greek. Uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, it means uh, cattle. Or this word does anyway. Or flock. That can be sheep or goats. And figuratively, it means men. Uh, and go astray means to be in air or seduced or to stagger or to roam from safety. We go wondering, and we listen, just like Eve did, to a voice that tells us something else instead of just standing on the rock and hearing the Master's voice. You know, in, in John 10, and we're going to get to it soon, I can't wait, uh, talking about the good shepherd and the sheepfold. And then what they would do in the city sheepfolds, at night the shepherd would come in and they would put their sheep in a sheepfold. And there might be eight or ten flocks in one sheepfold. But in the morning, when they were ready to take them out to find a green pasture, they would just come up and go, How you doing, Jim? And Jim would go, Good to see you, Bob. And those sheep would just start to come because they heard the master's voice. They knew because they were with him all day long. And he's talking to them all day long out on the green fields. you know. And that's a city sheepfold. And so they would hear his voice, and they would just separate from the rest of the people, the rest of the sheep that didn't know the master's voice. And that's what God is talking about when he speaks. And my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Is when he speaks, we don't stay in the world chasing the same thing the world is chasing. We ease out and come to him. And he takes us out into his sheepfold. And he's the good shepherd and the chief shepherd and the great shepherd of the flock. And he died for us. So like sheep, we've gone astray. We just wander off and uh, end up dead if it wasn't for our Savior, we have turned everyone to his own way. Now, what way are we supposed to follow? Jesus is John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're supposed to be going in his way, and we turn. It means to turn the face. Remember they hid their face? It means to turn the face or turn aside. Hide your face from him. And go on your own road, your own course, your own conversation, your own journey, your own plan, your own religion. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord said to my Lord, if the Lord has laid on him this Messiah, this servant who come and dealt prudently. He laid on him the iniquity. <clears throat> laid means to make intercession. The iniquity is our perversity, our moral evil, our punishment. Ooh. He laid it on him. He laid it on this suffering servant. And we know, of course, that this is talking about Jesus the Christ. Verse 7, he was oppressed. Man, we're only on verse 7. We've got to hurry up. He was oppressed. It means to uh, 
to drive like an animal, to harass, to distress. He was afflicted. We've seen that word already. Afflicted means uh, 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 to hurt, to defile, to create wounds. Keep moving. Yet, what? He opened not his mouth. You know, I wish I could keep my mouth shut. I am chief of complaining. There's a pain. Oh, my body hurts. This this man was was oppressed. He was beaten. He was afflicted. Uh, he stood before Pilate. He says, do you hear the things that you say? And you answer nothing. He said, I have power to give you life or death in my hands. And Jesus said, you have no power unless it is given to you from the heaven above. From the Father. He opened not his mouth. He did not give evidence against himself. He did not. Well, he said uh, uh, they did break the law when they, they had a nighttime trial. And they said, uh, um, are you the Messiah? You know, they ask him questions and they try to make himself incriminate himself. And he said, it is as you said. And so then they led him away and they to crucify him. But he was silent. And actually, in, in the King James, it says dumb. Like, like dumb and mute. He didn't say anything. To tie fast, tongue-tied. Um, he was led like a lamb to slaughter. Why? Because he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For this purpose, I came. He can't answer because if he answers, he has to lie. Now, we would have answered. I just know. I got a sin nature. I'd have been like, dude, if you'll talk quick and that whip, I did it. I, I killed all of them. I, I, I was going to kill all some more. I, and if you'll just quit hitting me with that whip. But he couldn't lie. He didn't have a sin nature. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Because if he tells the truth, he can't die for the sins of the world. That's another thought. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Illegal imprisonment. They held him. Taken from prison. Let's look at it. It's a closure. It's constraint. It's from oppression. And given a verdict, a sentence, a formal decree and determination. So they, they took him. They locked him up. They they imprisoned him, they beat him, they made a judgment. And then the question is asked here by the prophet, and who will declare his generation? And a generation means a revolution of time or an age. Uh, it can mean he had no offspring, and we are that as the church. No generation, who will declare it? Who's going to be a witness to what he has done? Who's going to be a witness? Because he was cut off from the land of the living. He was cut off, cut down and destroyed is what that means. Why? For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Possession. The people of God. He was beaten. Man, it would be sad if we ended like this. See, resurrection is how it ends. Resurrection is the whole. Resurrection is the evidence that death has been defeated. 
We don't want to end like this. And sometimes when you're in this, it can seem really bad. But we're going to see resurrection. Watch this. It's here. And they made his grave with the wicked. They crucified him between two thieves. But with the rich at his death, remember Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, it was a, he was born in a virgin womb, and then they, they put him in a rich virgin tomb that was never, nobody ever in it. Possibly Joseph of Arimathea just carved it for some of his uh, kinfolk that might be getting ready to die uh, because he had done no violence. See, God is already showing the evidence that he was an innocent man, and he did nothing nor was any deceit in his mouth. He never spoke against him. He never said anything. He went like a lamb to the slaughter. He went to the cross freely. Why? Because it was what he was anointed to do. It was what he was called to do. And see, it's so important that we find out what we were anointed and called to do, and then we can walk in it perfectly and fulfill our calling, fulfill what we've been sent here to do by God, what we were saved to do, what were we saved to do, Greg? Be a witness, to go and make disciples. Listen, that's what we're called to do. All the other stuff is made up plans. There's only one ministry. Listen, only one ministry in the entire gospel. It's the ministry of reconciliation of souls. Be reconciled. As if we were ambassadors for Christ, be reconciled to God. Why? For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. That's it. We're ambassadors. We're witnesses. We are speaking for citizens of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And the reason we do it is because God let him be bruised for us and die for us and be an atoning death for us and die in our stead. And he gave us his righteousness, justified us with his righteousness. And Christ became sin. He became a payment for all the sin of the earth. That's what that really means. He became a payment for all the sin, fully justified or fully uh, satisfied the entire wrath of God in his death on the cross for all sin. And if you believe that, you shall be saved. And then verse 10. I didn't point out that verse 6 was man, all we like sheep have gone astray. Verse 7 is him going to the cross, not opening his mouth. Even though he was innocent, he took our death for us. Verse 8, he was taken, and now a new beginning is we're declaring his generations. 9 is after the matter. 10 is the perfect completion, and we're told that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Are you kidding me? Yeah, because of on the other side, count it joy when you go through affliction, when you go through trials, because on the other side of it, it pleased the Lord to put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. His body was an offering for sin on the cross. It was a sacrifice. He shall see. Here it is, resurrection. See, he was an offering. He died for the sin of the world. But notice what it says, he shall see his seed, singular, he shall prolong his days. You see that? That's resurrection. He sees it. He shall see his seed. He can consider it, discern it, view it. The fruit is his seed, his posterity, his children. 
he shall prolong his days. He got up, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And that should be our hearts, that we would want what's pleasing to God to prosper in our hand. And it can only be done by the Spirit of God. And we cannot please God without faith. Remember Hebrews eleven six. Without faith it's impossible to please God. For you first must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Yeah, and I guess I should point out that verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It means it was his desire for him to die. It's not like he's some masochist that goes, I, it pleased me to see him. No, it was his desire to save all of mankind through coming to earth and taking flesh, becoming our kinsman redeemer, and laying his life down for us as an example. we got to close this up. 11. He shall see, there it is again, the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Isn't that amazing? This is resurrection. He got up. He sees his seed. He sees the labor of his soul, the, the work that was done on the cross. He sees it, and he sees that it prospers in his power, in his hand. It's the labor of his soul that he laid down for the sins of the world. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. See, when you come to know him, there it is again, his knowledge. By his knowledge, it means uh, 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 to know him, uh, uh, to, to the righteous or the just, the lawful. He will justify many. He will make us lawful. He'll make us righteous by knowledge of him. But this word can also be by his knowledge, what he knew, how he knew to obey God by the spirit of God that had led him. So you can use that both ways, by his knowledge that he knew that he was called to be the atoning sacrifice, um, the righteous servant shall justify many. How many is many? The whole world. Isn't that right? Remember Matthew 7? Many. He died for whomsoever, the whole world. Many are going to go by the broad gate, though. Few is going to find the narrow gate. He died for the many. He died for all. What does many mean? Did I have it? Uh, thought I had it. I don't have it. Didn't write it down. Uh, I, I did, this was a huge amount of words. I've got really what's equivalent of four pages of words just for this small section of uh, 15 verses because they're doubled up. If you see all of them, every line has two words in there. Transgression stricken. You know, every time you look at grave, wicked, every one of them has two lines in it. So he sees it though. And by that knowledge, when you and I, our eyes are opened by the Spirit of God, we can be justified. For he shall bear their iniquities. He carried them uh, away. He carried away our iniquities. He carried them. How far? As far as the east is from the west. The east never meets the west. He threw it into the sea of forgetfulness. Therefore, verse 12, let's close it out. What does the Father say? 
what does God say? What does the prophet say God's telling him to say? Therefore, you, anytime you see a therefore, you look back what it's there for. Because of all of these verses we've read, these 14 verses, it says, therefore, because he was bruised, because he obeyed, because he made himself a, 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 a sacrifice for us, because he bore our iniquities, it says, therefore, I would divide him a portion with the great. He gave him all authority on heaven and earth. But what did he do? He's the firstborn. So the firstborn gets a double portion of inheritance. And he divided him a portion with the great. He gave him a double portion. In fact, great means uh, the populace, much and many. It means abundant in quantity, size, age, number, and rank. Uh, and so he's, he's the head of all principality and powers. And what's he going to do that he got a double portion? What's he going to do that, that he would, because he uh, fulfilled his race and he died and rose again, and then he shall divide the spoil with the strong. He shall divide the spoil with the powerful. So here's, a, here's another one. Listen to me. It's, it's very important. This word can be powerful or strong, but it can be feeble. The weak. The least of these. What does he do? We, we become joint heirs with Christ. When we believe in him, we become in, inheritors with him of all the riches of heaven. And then we can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Not in our own strength. If we come to him as the feeble, if we come to him as the broken, if we humble ourselves in his sight and believe in his atoning death and take up our cross daily and follow him, if we believe the testimony of the gospel, he will make us joint heirs with him by marriage. We inherit the kingdom and become citizens once again where we can walk daily with God as Adam and Eve did before sin. We're married back into the kingdom, into his peace forevermore. Why? He tells us again. This is a repeated over and over. Because he poured out his soul unto death. That's the example we follow. Died to self. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And he bore the sin of many, that's all, and made intercession for the transgressors. He interceded. He was the go-between, his sacrifice. But even yet more, listen, where's he at right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession still for you and I. He's still doing that. His body was a sacrifice. It interceded for our death. Intercession, look, it means come betwixt, come between, we would say. It means to pray or meet together. Now listen what transgressor, because it's a different word than the other transgressor. He's an interceder for who? He interceded for who? His death was for who? The transgressors, Greg, listen, it means to break away from just authority. God was the only justified authority. He was the creator. 
And in Adam, we broke away from that justified authority. The only one that created us, the only one that loved us, and it means to apostatize, to rebel, to trespass. Listen, what, what is it when you trespass? You ever see those signs when you go mushroom hunting, deer hunting, whenever you do whatever you're doing? And there's a sign right there that says, do not trespass. And what happens? We read it, we see it, we know what the word says, and we do it anyway. That's a trespass. We do it anyway. Not the same as sin. Now we're doing it with knowledge. We're doing it willingly. We've seen the sign. And you get caught over there, and they go, didn't you see that sign? I didn't see it. Where was it? And then you sin, because you just lied. He's making intercession for us. He loves us as his bride. He knows that we're weak. It's not an excuse for sin. God forbid. He looks at us as the bride and says, I've died for you. I've dealt with sin. Now you can be washed and cleansed. You can be set apart for my good pleasure. You can go and sin no more if you'll be led by the Spirit. But when you sin, you knowingly sin. You know that you've sinned. You had to rebel against me. You had to reject my authority to sin because I gave you my spirit, my just authority, and you broke away when you sinned. It's with knowledge now. It's not the same anymore. And that's why verse 6 tells us that we can't escape it. All we, all we, who's we? It's everybody, evermore. It's all. You don't need a calculator. Like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. We're supposed to turn back to him. It means to turn our face from. We're supposed to turn back to God and approach him like the prodigal. Not keep going in our own way. You know how easy it is to keep going in your own way? But even the world, the world will tell you to keep doing the same thing over and expecting different results. Live your best life. Is insanity. Yeah, okay, Joe. Joe Osteen, your best life now. You don't need anyone to pray for you. You can pray for yourself. Oh, what sad, evil, wicked teaching we would get from that pulpit. Listen to me. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned our face. We've hid our face from this great salvation. We have turned and went in our own way. And the Lord, being loving and kind and not wanting us to live in deception and go to hell, he came and laid our iniquity, our trespass, our sin upon his only begotten son. So that all we had to do is believe that report and we shall be saved. That's amazing. That he would marry us and take us back the adulteresses and the harlots and the idolatry that we commit. And then he takes it upon himself and he gives us this perfect righteousness. It's, a, it's almost unbelievable. So it takes the Spirit of God to allow you to believe it. But then you grow in it and go in it and be evidences of it. Trophies of grace. Father, thank you. For your mercy. Oh, next week. I didn't give you next week. Next week's memory verse. Philippians. Philippians. And, and we may do this one all the way. Um, I almost passed that up. That would have been bad. Uh, we may do this one all the way to next year. I might.
Philippians 2, 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Listen, this is, this is a family. This is a body of Christ. This is a take care of one another, protect one another, pray for one another, carry one another's burdens. So we're not supposed to just make a decision and go, it's just about me. No, we're supposed to think that our interests, when we're taking care of our interests, it affects the interest of others because it affects your whole body. If all I do is go, oh, yeah, I like that. I'm just going to take care of that piece of my arm right there. I ignore the rest of my body. You ever see that when people go work out and all they do is do biceps? And then they walk around like, like this and they got big old arms, but they ignore the rest of the temple maintenance. All they do is work out. I just want to have big biceps. That's looking out for only the interest of the arm. And it's not looking out for the interest of others. It's a one another gospel where we're always concerned about one another. The same way our husband is concerned about us as a bride. Father, thank you for your mercy. Help us to understand Philippians 2.4, to ponder it, to meditate on it, to chew on it, and to know that our decisions affect others just like a pebble being tossed into water. There's a ripple effect of our sin, a ripple effect of our obedience, a ripple effect of our lives as we walk it out as witnesses and speak your word of truth to others. Lord, may people believe our report. May our lives reveal your report and your gospel. Pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you.